Twitch chat is on fire today. Good morning to the Twitchers. Twitch.tv slash Boston WEEI. Or go to YouTube, type in WEEI. Click right on the live stream. There you go. Texters at 37937. Tom Kern with us at noon today. All right. I am curious. Am I the only one that is kind of noticing this? Am I the only one that is constantly no, noticing God just no. how and, and and again, it 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 to me it's a trap. In a way it's a trap, isn't it? Right? Like, hey, uh it's like it's like the national media who did nothing but bitch, complain, and rip Tom Brady, rip Bill Belichick over and over and over again, dismiss their accomplishments, dismiss like everything that they did together, find reasons why they shouldn't be considered great. Find reasons just over and over again. It's a trap. I do feel like, but I am gonna, I am gonna engage this one time. All right. I'm gonna do it. I want you to come with me, and I'm, I, and I'm curious, like you know, why? Is it just a real simple why? Is this like the? Is this is Patrick Mahomes now the the best looking girl at the prom right now? Like Brady left, right? Well, Brady left. He went to college. Right now, yeah. Right now, That's yeah, it. but uh, but people, uh, uh, especially, like I'm 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 trying to say this the right way because we're we're gonna play audio from people that I seriously, if they, they were on fire, I'd drive by them. I mean, I hate to be mean, but like you know, Colin Cowturd, what's he do? I mean, honest to God, he gets on his hind legs and barks every day so that somebody notices. So that's why he says stuff like this about Brady and Patrick Mahomes. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. Peyton Manning, as good as he was, was a teeth clencher. Elway had some really bad big games. Brady was mostly an early game manager. I can say it now. (laughs) Mahomes is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. I can say it, and I've watched Marino and Elway. You know I love Brady. Now, Brady's more productive. But what we're watching here is a player that against the best defenses, in the highest leverage moments, the biggest audience, the most pressure, best defenses, is significantly better. Not better, significantly better than he is in the regular season. His playoff numbers, they don't make sense. It would be like Derek Jeter was a 300 hitter, hitting 370 in the postseason. It's like, wait, time out. What are we doing here? Juxtapose watching Lamar and him. And I'm like, if Lamar's number two in the league, the gap between those two is the Grand Canyon. Um, okay, I'm with you with uh, – I, I feel like – and again, I said I would play along. I'm only going to do ruff. it this once because ruff, I – it, no, it is. It is. me. It is. It's just ruff. the same people. It's just weird. And, and, and maybe take it as a sign of respect. It may, and you know, you know, Kraft always used to say, jealousy and envy has no cure. Ooh, <laughs> jealousy no cure and envy for... has no cure. Yeah, there's no cure. Spite and malice. Yeah, yeah. spite and malice. I prefer spite and malice. Yeah, uh, and because it, this is what it, this is what happens, Gresh. Right? Uh, because the same this same person who was you know, doing the same barking, still looking for clicks. I guarantee you said the exact same thing about Brady for years and years and years over a longer period of time. And it was harder for Brady to, I guess, cross over, right? Because it it took Brady five Super Bowl wins to be considered better than Montana. Really six. And then he went down and doubled it down like we talked about. And he beat Mahomes and he beat Aaron Rodgers and he beat Drew Brees. And, oh, yeah, you remember that whole undefeated season where they lost against the Giants? Mm -hmm. It is, like, uncanny how quickly and how easily 
his reputation, his accomplishments have literally just been like they never happened. Well, you know, um, if this is supposedly the greatest quarterback that ever lived in uh, Patrick Mahomes, then how do you put into context the AFC championship game when they went head to head and then Brady went to the NFC and still beat the guy in the Super Bowl? Like, that's the part of this where it's like, you know, we say that wins in the regular season, okay, they matter, but they're not the end-all, be-all. It's really how do you perform in the postseason. And we have even noted that in the first five years, Tom Brady was much more of a game manager, and it was, he was coached in a way, as we talked about in our 03 look back. You know, Charlie Weiss came on and said, yeah, there were days where the head coach said, don't take risks. So I had to call the offense or I didn't take risks. And it kind of hurt Brady's numbers a little bit. And then we saw what the guy became. What really gets me about just carnival barker, asshats, let me scream from the mountaintop to try to get a couple of clicks because the guy is, I, I mean, just. So let me, let me, me ask you a question. This, let me, okay, here's go. the thing. In the moment, <laughs> it is. Wow, look at Tom Brady. At 45 years old, he played MVP-level football. That's the part that gets me. And people are like, well, you know, he's Tom Brady. Of course, at 45, he did that. What are you effing kidding me? And if you were going to be real, Christian, there is a chunk of people around here that if they were being honest about themselves, when Brady left, it was, yup, he's old, he's 42, I get it, I understand. And Brady proved all of us wrong. And now you have asshats like this. Again, let me get on my hind legs and bark so that somebody will notice what I'm doing. Okay, so there's your stupid slant on the I'll give you that. Colin Coward. Okay, I'll give him the asshat award, okay? But what about a respected, well-known, accomplished former player who I was in the meetings with this guy, London Fletcher, who played a long time, and I cannot tell you how often – Bill Belichick praised London Fletcher. I remember this. Okay. Like, could not stop praising him more. Long-ass career. He's on a show that I did a couple times, uh, Monday Quarterback for CBS Sports Network. And he was on there. And, of course, yesterday they asked him the same question. And let me see if you would call him an asset with his his answer. What you get when you look at Patrick Mahomes is – as I said, the best quarterback in NFL history. And he's doing it at such a young age. And what he was able That's to do That's it. Against- I don't need any more. That's it. He actually decided to go there. London Fletcher, who's played against I Brady. Mean, good now, Lord. do you give him a pass or no. is he speaking the truth? Idiot. No, no, no. I, yes, I know. Another An idiot. idiot. Another idiot. I'm Another with one. you. Like, this just. Uh, 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 London Fletcher played until he's 38 years old. You would think instead of the whole, well, look at what Patrick Mahomes has done so early on, that there'd be a little bit of a memory that, you know, the guy who walked away now in Tom Brady, London Fletcher legged it out to 38. Tom Brady played MVP level football at 45. What are we talking about here? I think it is so, just it's recency bias. It's victims of the moment. But the thing that stands out with me the most, okay, let me see if I can bring you back. Answer me this. It really me this. Why was there so much hatred and resistance with Brady, with all his accomplishments, and Pat? And for some reason, Patrick Mahomes receives none of that. He receives none of it. Zero. It's almost let's fast track him instead of like usually they would stick an anchor 
on Brady because they did not want him or his accomplishments to keep going. And Answer he me that. stuck it to everybody. Yeah, and he pro- so why? Well, there's two things. The Chiefs are likable. The Patriots in the heyday were not. Which 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 era of Patriots? Because it's it's there's so many of oh, there's so many. It's so I would, long. Oh, I would say distinguished. I would say from 07 on. Okay, when, so the when second was, dynasty when it was the perfect season. Oh, okay. That to me is where it really started to go to the next level. And look, there are people across the country, and having done national radio forever, you know, you'll get the. Well, hey, that, that Bill Belichick, he don't say nice things in a press conference, and I, he's a traitor. Yeah, you, know, you get those people across the country where there was Spygate, there was, Spy was Deflategate, and they kept winning and just kept pegging everybody the finger. Yeah, That true. was the other part of it, is that when you go to what, an AFC championship game, what was it, from 11 to 2011 to 2018 or something like that? You know, people get sick of it after a while. Here's what's interesting on the juxtaposition of Andy Reid to Tom Brady versus uh, uh, Andy Reid and Bill Belichick and then Brady and Mahomes. There used to be the thing with Joe Montana where it was inverted in a way, where it was, oh, look at the coach that he had. He had Bill Walsh, one of the greatest of all time. And then people would be like, well, you know, the guy was really good in Super Bowls, yada, yada. But there's always that connection there. With Reed and Mahomes, it's as if Andy Reed is just some country fried rube. And he's and 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 the, the Pat Mahomes is just kind of out there doing it all by himself. Whereas there are those who will want to give Brady demerits because by God, he played for the greatest coach ever. You know what I mean? So the, I I don't hear any of the, well, you know, Brady and Belichick and da-da-da. They're always almost like married together. Whereas with Patrick Mahomes, it's like, oh, no, no, no. He walks on water, and everybody else just kind of, you know, hopes they don't drown around him type thing. What what was the word that they used to use for Brady and just all their success? Oh, yeah, Brady fatigue, Patriot fatigue. That's That's, what it was. That's what it was because even even, even with the whole – it's like, let me choose a phrase to diminish what he – oh, you know what? Brady was productive. Mm -hmm. He was very productive. And and it, and it makes me oh uh, look at look what look what uh, wait, let me give you this one more and we'll go to some calls real all quick right. okay let me go to the last one because what first take did okay and this is your favorite player of all time your favorite analyst of all time oh, Shannon uh, Sharp Shannon Sharp okay yeah. they kind of flipped hey, at least it a little he was bit. a player unlike Calton yeah okay so they flipped it a little bit because uh, Molly uh, is it Molly Molly Ke- Molly Karam Molly Karam okay she kind of took a different little approach and she asked a question basically. You know, hey, guys, who would you take one game, winner take all? Who would be the one guy you would want? Here's Shannon Sharp's answer. Would you rather have Brady or Mahomes for a one-game win-or-go-home situation? I'm taking Mahomes, boy, because he can do everything Brady can do and more. We're talking about the first seven seasons. The guy has 70 touchdowns in front of Brady and almost 7,000 yards from where Brady was at the same point in their careers. Give me Pat Mahomes, boy. Let me That's be very enough. clear right now. I mean, the answer to this question is Patrick Mahomes. Perfect. So, so the, Sorry so about that, Nick. So it's all about the numbers for so those the, guys so the second, in terms of of uh, in, in terms of – so uh, so hold on real quick. So, so I the guess, second voice was Stephen A. Smith, so yeah, they both yeah. take him. Go ahead. I guess uh, Drew Brees then must be the most prolific passer in the history of the NFL. It's, it's, it's so stupid. It's like – and even like – so it's, you mentioned the, it's all about the stats and the numbers and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, because uh, Mahomes can do everything Brady can do, 
and then throw off balance and uh, throw behind himself and throw a back shoulder and and he can like all these things. So you're telling me the only difference is that Patrick Mahomes can scramble around forever. Well, I would say this: they handle Patrick Mahomes differently because he can scramble. So they'll rush three guys. They'll spy with one. And he has all this time to run around. They don't blitz him. They don't attack him. They don't force him to be a man and have courage and stand there and then force the throw in with accuracy and timing and trust. It's, it's insane. It is. It is insane. And and a lot of the guys like Shannon Sharp will look at the head-to-head and they just throw that out because it's just an easier way. Well, like, uh, uh, again, you know, there's a couple of factors with Mahomes. Number one, the league is different. Number two... We are playing more games now, so it hasn't been a long time, but there is a little bit of that. And number three, Patrick Mahomes landed on a playoff team. I mean, let's be real about it. Like, Tom Brady was drafted to a team that was a five-win team. Now, no, he was there He was there for the 20 season, so that would have been Bill's first year. So he was brought in coming off of 8-8 eight and eight with Belichick coming in. So it's a little different in terms of the teams that you're you're kind of drafted to. And I would dare say, and I would think that, you know, Christian, you are the head of tight end nation. And you got a guy like Shannon Sharp, who I would dare say that if he were sitting here and I questioned the defenses he played against, he would talk about how much tougher they were, how the league was different, and why those numbers that he put up should be looked at a little different contextually than other tight ends of the modern era. But when we're talking about Brady and Mahomes, let's just bow down because Mahomes has more passing yards. Yeah, and I'm with you. And that's why Brady is the most interesting man in the world because I would even say even when, even in the first half of Brady's career, even though Manning, in the first half of his career, even though Manning wasn't nearly as productive, successful, couldn't win a Super Bowl, couldn't beat Brady head-to-head, um, he was still regarded as a better quarterback, even though Brady was literally beating him and winning and making the plays that mattered at the most important time. And then if, then you fast-forward to the second half, it was Aaron Rodgers, who wasn't as accomplished, couldn't do as much, and still they considered him better than Brady. Yet here we are again, proving them wrong. It just is amazing to me, like this weird... I guess, resistance to just, you know, acknowledge the greatness and keep it where it's at because he Mahomes is going to have to play another 12 years. Will he? Does he have a chance to do yeah. it? Sure he does. Of at course. Crazy, crazy high level. Yeah. That's the other thing. Is this guy going to be 40 years old, still throwing 35 touchdown passes and 10 interceptions or less? That's the crazy part about all of this. And this is very much in the moment. This is very much the, okay, how can we find a way to, you know, look at this, Stephen A. on Lamar. It was a choke job. You know what's really funny about how the Nationals treat Lamar Jackson? Did you see how hard it was for those guys on, like, ESPN? Some of these, you know, people that we've sort of heard from here. The Ryan Clarks of the world. But how painful it was for them to have to actually say Lamar Jackson sucked in the AFC title game. <laughs> no. Like, it killed it does, They them. don't want to say it out loud. Whereas, it feels like if Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers slipped on a banana peel, those guys would be all the first ones to be piling on. But when it's Lamar Jackson, well, we got to take half of that. Like, even, even... We got to put some stuff in the context. Even the, uh, even the Brady Super Bowl against uh, Philly when he threw for, like, I don't know, it felt like a 500 yards, but the last series 
when they got the ball back, right, to go try and, like, win the game, his arm gets hit and he, it's an incomplete or got intercepted, and they blame him for that, the loss. It, it's amazing. I, if I'm Tom Brady, all I do is send the first take the final 15 minutes of the Atlanta Super Bowl and then a picture with that ring right on my dong <laughs> and say, here you go. There you go. There's what I think of your takes. There's where the other – there's where my sixth ring went. Where are yours, idiots? Well, Bite me. Well, he's but Brady's in- too nice to do that, though, because Tom Brady's going to be an analyst next. Well, he's in that world now. Uh, he he's is. in that world. Yeah, it is It is rather uh, infuriating, to say the, the least. Um, six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. Uh, Mark in Medford is uh, kind of with me on all this. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, let's just call it what it is, guys. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan, but let's face it: the, this whole country would have respected and liked the Patriots more for what they did over the last twenty years of that dynasty and winning six Super Bowls. But they got caught cheating not once but twice, and a lot of people feel. There should be an asterisk next to those championships and whatnot, and they don't deserve them, and they were phony. Let's just call it what it is. That's why the Patriots are disliked. That's why they're hated, Mark, and I'm, I, I think there's a big, big, big part of it. And even, you know, even as much as a couple years ago, there would be people who would be making the jokes about, oh, what about that Brady ball pressure? And here's what I say to people who made a big deal about deflate gate. Did you watch a football game this year and wonder, oh, I wonder what the PSI is in that football? Is it really such a massive advantage that if that football was at 12.4 PSI, not 12.5, 12.4, what would that make a big difference in da-da-da? Remember the NFL, Christian, also said coming out of all this, well, this will be something that we study. This will be something that we, we're going to study and we're going to keep track, right? Oh, but didn't they do that with the Patriots and Chief game this year with the kicking balls? Hang on. But, oh, <laughs> yeah, you're – we're yeah, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> All right. Oh, Nick. Um, <laughs> uh, we got a Super Bowl to talk about with the guy who joins us now on the Harbor One Hotline, our buddy Brian Baldinger of NFL Network and – He's an Odyssey NFL insider, and the insider calls are brought to you by Old Spice, Men Have Skin Too, and by Wise Snacks. No one does crunchy, salty, or cheesy better than Wise Snacks. Baldy, it's Gresham Fourier. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm doing fantastic, man. Well, we're uh, we're hoping that the Patriots can find a uh, an offensive coordinator soon enough. It feels like they're going to have to be like, uh, you know, the old Peanuts cartoon with like, uh, hey, here's your lemonade. They're going to set up a stand and start interviewing people. Hopefully they call you, Baldy, but we'll get to that. Because I want to get to these conference championship games, and it feels like with all the buzz surrounding both that they haven't been talked about very much. I'm curious, Baldy, because you break it down from the inside out. What was what stood out to you about the way the Chiefs found a way to beat Baltimore in a year where it seemed like everything was set up for Baltimore to go to the Super Bowl? Yeah, I agree. Uh, a couple things. One, uh, for whatever reason, well, Spags' game plan. Steve Spagnuolo, defense coordinator, he said we're gonna we're gonna play our three big linebackers, Nick Bolton, uh, Drew Tranquil, Leo Chanel, and we're gonna just basically crowd the box. And we're going to stop you from running the ball and deter you from running it. And they did, surprisingly. Lamar had two designed runs 
the entire afternoon. He had a couple scrambles, but only two design runs. And so Spag said, we'll put our corners on your wide receivers, and we're going to man you up. And if you can beat us, you beat us that way. And honestly, like they had eight incompletions on deep shots down the field. And it didn't matter if it was Trent McDuffie or Legereus Sneed or Jalen Watson or Joshua Williams. They all defended the deep ball. And so that was that part. And then on offense, I thought a big part of the game plan, especially in the first half, was let's get the ball out of Mahomes' hands as quickly as possible. We don't care if it's a four-yard stop route to you know Travis Kelsey, whoever it is. We're going to throw the ball before you can get to us. And the league, you know, the team that led the league in sacks, we're not holding the ball. We're just going to stay on schedule. We'll take our four, five, six yards off our stash rash play, whatever it is, and we're going to move the ball that way. And they did. And it was a good, good game plan for much of the first half to you know, be able to put up 17 points. So does the narrative stay the same when it comes to Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I think so. You know, because it, whether it's his fault or Todd Munkins or whatever, it, it always falls on the quarterback. And so the quarterback has to be better than everybody else, and he's got to play his best in those championship games. And Patrick Mahomes, I mean, I think he played his first 12 passes, was a much better player that day. And so he's chasing Mahomes. He said, if you want to beat the best, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best, and he couldn't do it. And that's how these quarterbacks all get measured. Yeah, and I it is to go. Yeah, and I do think that it's odd that just um it seems like most analysts want to give Lamar Jackson a pass and they forget how Peyton Manning was ridiculed. Philip Rivers was kind of dragged through the mud. Drew yep. Brees for a portion. Dan Marino. I mean, the list goes mm-hmm. on and on and on. I'm curious if you feel that like that that most analysts want to give him a pass. I, I kind of feel like they are in some way, but it, that's not how we that's not how we analyze these quarterbacks. We analyze them by Super Bowl championships and getting the Super Bowls, and you got to win championship games to get there. And so he fell short. He did not play well. The offense didn't obviously play well. Now you could say Zay Flowers, you know, gets the ball poked out the goal line. All that is true, but at the at the end of the day, when your offense scores ten points, the quarterback what was it good enough? He wasn't dynamic enough. He didn't make splash plays in the passing game. He wasn't what you expect from a guy that many consider to be the MVP of the league. He didn't play like that and at that level. And I'm not being harsh on Lamar. I'm not a hater by any means. I just know that the guy on the other side played like the MVP, the way we are used to seeing him. And that's what we wanted to see from Lamar. And he fell short of that. Brian Baldinger, Odyssey NFL Insider with us. Insider Calls are brought to us by Old Spice Gentleman's Blend Body Wash, providing exfoliation plus 24-7 miniaturization because men have skin too. I get it that I'm asking this question in a vacuum and it might need a little more nuance. However, Baldy, I'm watching Chris Jones out there. He's a force. Same way for Aaron Donald when the Rams won their uh, last Super Bowl is – is there something to spending $30 million on a mother bleeper defensive lineman versus $30 million on the wide receiver du jour? I, wouldn't, I, I would pay Chris Jones whatever he needs. He needs it because there's, there's defensive tackles and there's defensive linemen out there that can have you know great regular seasons and they put up big numbers. Chris Jones knows how to finish games. When, when you need him the most, like, he, like against Buffalo, when you need him the most, he shows up. And uh, he, he's an amazing player, amazing player. And that defense isn't any, like, you know, they lost 
you know, they lost another player in Charles Amenahu. They lost Derek Nottie. Like, they've got Chris Jones and a bunch of other guys right now up front. But he knows how to, to beat double teams, to close, to affect the quarterback. He did it in championship games. He's done it in Super Bowls. He did it Sunday. He, he's, he's special. And so salary cap is salary cap, but you got to pay your stars. The stars win games, and he's a guy that wins games for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. You know, we're talking to Brian Baldinger um, uh, on the Harbor One Hotline, NFL Network, Odyssey Insider, too. Man, you're everywhere. Um, the Detroit game, it's been picked apart like crazy, and more importantly, the decisions that Dan Campbell made. Where do you stand on a guy? I feel like, you know, on one hand, he has the courage of his convictions, and he is who he is. On the other, other hand, he can't read the room. What's your opinion on how we handled the last, like, six minutes of that game? Well, I think, really, the, the critical one was fourth and two at the 28 after the, the 49ers in the third quarter took their drive down, you know, to cut the lead to, to 24 to 10. And so I thought at the 28-yard line you picked up Badgley because you thought he was a better kicker than Patterson. And then, you know, you, you, you have a 45-yard field goal attempt there to go back up three scores with seven minutes left in the third quarter. Like if you just if you just think about it, you're up three scores with seven minutes left in the third quarter. Like you, I feel like you stop the momentum of San Francisco. You don't give him a chance. Yes, should Josh Reynolds catch the ball? Yeah, you know it's not a great play. It's not a great throw. You you could make the catch and you keep marching. Take time off the clock. Maybe kick this. Uh, maybe score a touchdown and put the game on ice. I understand the aggressiveness, but you're up three scores with seven minutes to go. You're in good shape. Like, I just think in that moment, they probably should have kicked a field goal. I'm with you on that, Baldy. Christian and I broke that down a bunch. Then there is the group in San Francisco. And why do you think there are people who are hesitant, Baldy, to give Brock Purdy any type uh, of flowers? Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't. I've been a big fan since the first. I mean, I, I did some of his games at Iowa State. I didn't know he was going to be this uh, at Iowa State. But I. You know, the kid is, he's a silent assassin. Like, forget about where he's drafted. Forget about what he looks like. Like, the guy's literally, statistically, he's been the best quarterback in the league for two years in a row. And they attack the middle of the field the way Mike March used to attack the middle of the field with Kurt Warner. It takes a certain amount of guts. It takes a certain amount of fearlessness to be able to attack the middle of the field the way he does. And that's how he plays the game. And if, you know, Malcolm Rodriguez gets one because his hand gets hit. He gets one, but he doesn't. It doesn't affect him. It doesn't. It doesn't. There's no hangover effect to him. The guy just marches on, and everybody in that organization, especially the players, they believe in that guy 100%, saying that he's as good as what you have to be to win a Super Bowl. Um, the, 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 whatever the naysayers are out there. I don't know if they're really watching the games, to be honest. Yeah, and I also think it is interesting. I think the whole I went to Iowa State. Uh, kind of is like you know a knock on him, and even when you look at you know I was looking at what he did in high school, like he was he got he got offered a scholarship from Alabama, he got offered a scholarship from Illinois, he got offered some from smaller schools, and he chose Iowa State. Whatever it seems to work, but um, back to the Patriots, Baldy, because um, oh, looks like yeah, God, here we go. Man. What do you make of the fact that they're interviewing so many offensive coordinators? Like what is what is like the, they they got a defensive coordinator now they got a special teams coordinator now they still just can't figure out what they want to do on offense. Well, do any of the guys they're interviewing want the job? 
because it's a hard job. Like, what are you working with? You're, you've got a depleted roster. Nobody believes that a Super Bowl-winning quarterback is on the roster or somebody that can turn a dreadful offense around. I want to know what offensive coordinator that's out there wants that job. Now, Jared Mayo may be a great guy to work for, and he might be a miracle worker. None of us know. But that's a difficult job right now. It's not like, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles were interviewing guys. It's not like, okay, coming to Philly, you got a great offensive line. you got a quarterback that has played at a high level. You've got stud receivers. I mean, that's a, that's a good job. I don't know that the Patriots is a good job. And maybe that's one of the reasons why they're interviewing so many people. Because maybe some of them are just going up there going, well, let's just see what the plan is. What's the plan from an organization? How are we going to fix this thing? Because nobody's going to win with the talent that they have right now. At their skilled positions on offense. Do you think that's why they're, like I guess, leaning towards inexperienced passing game coordinators, assistant to the assistant? Like they, You think that's why they're shopping at that barrel bin? Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know what they're looking for. You know, I don't know what the, the you know, what is, I don't know what Jared Mayo wants. Does he want a, a, you know, a disciple of Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan where it's just going to be motions and shifts and formations and we're just going to pre-snap, you know, read you to death? Does he want that? Does he want, you know, a Mike Vrabel type offense, which is we're just going to pound the football and we're going to do some play action and we're not going to get too crazy. Like, I don't know what he wants. And so with, and I don't know if he knows what he wants. I haven't heard him declare I mean, am I making sense here, guys? Oh, Baldy, listen, I, we've been, and especially me, I've been betwixt and between because Mayo's kind of led us to think that the it's going to be quarterback at number three, and yet you don't really know what you want to do on offense. And it was in his deal for a year. He was going to be the guy. He's had time to think about it. And we're still kind of ping-ding-a-linging around because for me, Baldy, if they're going to go quarterback at number three, you're making a big investment right there you got to have the right structure in place to be able to get the most out of this guy. And my biggest fear is that they'll take someone at number three who might be okay, but what is around them, including and maybe more importantly from the coaching end, might not be able to get the most out of that player in a pick that really could re-energize the franchise. No doubt. I mean, look at the examples. Look at what Carolina did around Bryce Young. And if Bryce Young is even the guy. None of us know, uh, but it wasn't a very good you know, sample this year. And then C.J. Stroud comes in and, oh, oh, you know, you've got the right system, the right coach, uh, and Bobby Slowick and, you know, Nico Collins steps up and all of a sudden, like, he becomes a number one. I mean, like, that thing took off. But you can look at all the examples where it didn't and where the coach and the system really affected the player. Joe Burrow comes in and he's ballyhooed and he's heralded. But, man, it sure helps that you've got three stud receivers, you know, and you've got a stud running back and the defense was good. Like, it's got to be – you've got to be set up for some success. And the system is important. And who calls the plays and how they call them are really, really important. So, you know, Bali, I think you're pretty level-headed, right? You know, you're pretty open-minded. You're not – like you don't get caught up in the whole – the shenanigans of, you know, the – and you're never a victim of the moment. That's all I'll say. Baldy is never a victim of the moment. He has the ability to, to see through the BS. 
Okay, I'm giving you. Yeah. That's my way of giving you a compliment. You mean like he's seeing uh, I, through the BS I, of you right I, now? No, no, I'm not leading the witness at all. I'm not trying to get you. To, hold on, hold on. Yeah, I'm writing it. Down, I'm writing it down on a whiteboard right now. <laughs> okay, because uh, I was busting. Uh, I was busting like you know Gresh a little bit yesterday because all the victim of the moments when it came to greatest of all time. Right. Let's just play this game real quick. And suddenly. Yeah. You know, Brady was the greatest of all time, and all his 23 years and all his accomplishments that just seem to be it's unrecognizable when you line them all up. And suddenly, here we go. I guess Patrick Mahomes is now the greatest co- quarterback in the history of the NFL. Um, I guess, who do you think is the greatest quarterback? It's, it's a softball. Easy. Just yeah. who do you think? Yeah, Tom Brady. I mean, just because he did it over the longest stretch of time, he did it in the game where they were down 28 to three, and he, t- he threw a pick six, and he brought him back. Uh, there's 283 diamond crusted little things on a ring to remind everybody of how far they brought him back. I mean, every situation there was years when there was, you know, I mean, he was throwing to Troy Brown and finding ways to win Super Bowls. I, I, he did it in every situation. So it's it's Tom Brady, but it's not us. Like they're they're all warranted. Joe Montana, Bradshaw. They're all warranted at some level of greatness, and Patrick Mahomes is building his legacy. I mean, they're, a, you know, they they are in the middle right now of a a run like unlike we've ever seen before. So, um, you know, they're building a dynasty right in front of us, and nobody's ever done it like that before. So you can you can put different categories in there, but I think Brady deflected the question yesterday or whenever it was like really good. Like I just, he just wanted to be the best he could be. And he wasn't thinking about being the GOAT. And I don't think Mahomes is either. I just think he's enjoying this run for as long as it can last. Uh, And, Baldy, last thing for you. I know the Super Bowl is coming up. I know that there will be a pop star flying in from Japan. Uh, Does the Taylor Swift stuff bother you, number one? And, number two, if asked to do the Taylor interview by the NFL Network, would you be all for that or would you politely step aside on that one because maybe you don't want to skate that lane. Well, first of all, none of it bothers me. Because honestly, like whatever brings more eyeballs to the game, 57 million people watch the 49ers, whatever brings more eyeballs to the game, I'm a fan of. And she brings a lot of eyeballs to the game. Eight-year-old girls that never watched football for, before are watching football. So I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I, I don't know one single Taylor Swift song. I don't know one. I, I, have, I, don't even, I couldn't spot I don't know how many songs she has. Like if I interviewed her, and I would interview her, but I would feel like for the next 10 days, I better start listening to some Taylor Swift music. So I, I, I know some references, some song titles, some rhythms. Are these <laughs> dance songs, sing-along songs? I don't have some any hooks. idea. Yeah. I've never heard of one of the songs. Yeah. But uh, I would interview her for sure. Yeah. yeah. All girl dads should be really happy because most of the young girls who are fans – literally won't not allow the channel to be changed with the with the chance of them missing uh, an opportunity to see her on TV. This is crazy. Hey, real quickly, here's the last one for me. I forgot to ask you this. Would you give Kirk Cousins two million, uh, what, two years, $90 million? Mm. Uh, I love Kirk Cousins. That's a big, that's a big ticket. <laughs> right? You think uh, he'll get it? I, yeah. I don't. Uh, probably. Oh. I mean, like, they probably will get it. Like, yeah. he's probably the wealthiest quarterback of all time right now, the contracts that he's been getting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I haven't done the math or anything like that, but I, I don't like writing checks for 
$90 million for guys that, you know, finish the game uh, with a torn Achilles. You never know just how you're going to come back from that. Great stuff, Baldy, as always. Thanks a bunch. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch you next week for some Super Bowl preview. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Uh, I'm going to study some Taylor Swift this week. There you go. There you go. There you go. 1989, Baldy. Start there. (laughs) You'll be in good shape. Thank you, buddy. Is that the name of a song? That is. uh, (laughs) You know what? You'll figure it out. Uh, (laughs) Baldy, thank you, man. There goes our guy, Brian Baldinger of NFL Network. He's an Odyssey NFL insider. Insider calls brought to you by Old Spice. Men... Have skin, too. Joining us now on the uh, Harbor One Hotline from down in Mobile, Alabama, at the Senior Bowl, longtime general manager of the uh, Minnesota Vikings. He's now doing work for uh, CBS Sports HQ, host of With the First Pick, an NFL draft podcast from CBS Sports. Rick Spielman is with Gresh and Fourier. Rick, good afternoon. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, man, Rick, I mean, you're supposed to be doing less work, not more work. I mean, what are you, what are yeah, you doing? No. Well, my wife said you're supposed to be retired on an island on, off the coast of Florida, yet I have eight side jobs, so <laughs> including taking phone calls from the Harbor Bay, wherever the hell you guys are at up there. <laughs> Uh, so Rick, what to your GMI has stood out to you about these group of athletes that you have been able to watch for most of this week? Yeah, no, I was able to get down here Wednesday, just on another side job that I've been involved with, but just the initial impressions of what I saw this morning and and yesterday watching practice is I think overall, this is a a really good group of uh, athletes down here. Uh, I've done a lot of them on tape just for the podcast, but uh, when you see them in person and see them move around, you know, just take the quarterback group compared last year's quarterback group that were down here to this year's. I thought Jim Nagy did an excellent job. And when you come down here and just for example, the quarterback group, it's do you put Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr., who are probably the two highest-rated quarterbacks down here in the Senior Bowl, do you put them on opposite teams or do you put them together? And I think he did a great job putting them together on the same team because all the scouts and personnel people down here want to see them in practice and throwing next to each other back-to-back. And that's more important than maybe just evaluating the Senior Bowl game. Yeah, because we were so the national team just went, and we were kind of watching a little bit on TV with Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. Then the American team, you have uh, obviously Joe Milton the third, Spencer Rattler, um, Bradley Carter. Right. I'm, I'm curious, yeah, Pratt, uh, yeah, Michael Pratt. What is it other than because those feel like the other names? Has one of these other guys, other than the I guess the marquee quarterbacks that are there right now, popped a little more than the guys that everyone's paying attention to? Is it like me being a guest on the show, like just one of the other names? No, no, no. Yeah, you're, listen, you're you're in a you're a P one, you're a P one in a prime spot. <laughs> oh, I heard that before. So, no, I think Pratt has been a little better than I anticipated coming down with his arm talent. Uh, there's no question when you watch Spencer Rattler uh, that. You know, there's a lot of discrepancies on his grade, whether he's an early Saturday guy or does he get into the second round. But when you watch him throw, he throws as good as anybody. I think the biggest question mark on it is how good is his decision-making, how quickly he can process. 
the physical abilities there, although he's not as big as you may want at the quarterback position. But on Tuesday, for example, he threw an interception in the team period. And then yesterday he looked really good. But the way the ball comes out of his hands, the way uh, he anticipates uh, receivers getting out of their routes, which is huge down here because he's never worked with these guys except for Leggett, uh, his, his teammate that's down there, who's another very talented receiver. Um, he's been impressive to me. So, But it's a great opportunity for these guys that may not be in the top five to try to start jockeying for a position and can Spencer Rattler potentially close the gap to, to put him in uh, a Friday night type pick. For NFL GM Rick Spielman with Gresh and Fourier, Rick, the guy who once signed our Jermaine Wiggins. That's right. We'll, uh, we'll leave those documents sealed for right now with Rick because we want to talk to him about yeah. the draft. We don't but, have to hang up. Uh, but, Rick, <laughs> I'm curious from your end. You know, Fourier and I have talked a lot about evaluating quarterbacks because Marvin Harrison Jr. is so damn good. To me, there's no way he's not going to be on some boards the number one ranked player, but he might not be the number one guy in the draft. So, Rick, when you look at quarterbacks, what are the traits in a QB that you want that would make you feel good about drafting somebody very high in a draft? Yeah, that's the uh, burning bush question I guess because you can see the physical talent you can see the ball come out of their hands you can determine the accuracy I think that it's the intangible part of it and how these guys perform uh, in pressure situations during the game whether it's two minute in the fourth quarter when they're behind and then trying to identify what type of leader they are Um, and you guys and uh uh, Wiggs, no offense to him, he was a much better football player than what he looks like when he walks in your building. But hell of a football player. But that's another subject. Um, but <laughs> can, you, can you identify those intangibles? Like, And I always gave the example of I know the quarterbacks have to be smart, but is there a way to see how quickly they process? Because I've been in meeting rooms, and some of the mistakes that I made are guys that are brilliant putting it on a board, regurgitating what the what the coach is saying or the coordinator is saying, sometimes even sounding better. But can they do all that and process that in less than the two and a half seconds they have uh, in the pocket? The other thing I think that you're seeing more and more of is these offenses in the NFL now starting to evolve to what type of athletes are coming out at that position. And I think that the athleticism also is a part of this too, but always going to be the burning bush question is, can you, or do you have some kind of system or formula as you go through this pre-draft process, able to identify those intangible traits that may not be physical that you can see that make these quarterbacks so successful in the NFL, a la Drew Brees, a la Tom Brady, a la Matt Ryan's of the world. Yeah. So, so we're talking to Rick Spielman, longtime NFL executive. Uh, saw something in Wiggy that just you had to have him, right? So just had to sign him. And he, he paid dividends for you, didn't he, Rick? I mean, he played well yeah, for you guys. He, yeah, he was a phenomenal football player. Not only can he catch the ball, he, he can block. He did everything. And those are the type of players that you hopefully can put on your roster that help build the culture in your locker room. And he definitely was one of those guys. So speaking of that position, though, you know, you also mentioned that um, 
the NFL uh, evolves into what college provides. And what college seems to be providing, at least for me, Rick, is uh, an elite athletic multiple position, multiple just like the second most reliable guy on your team next to the quarterback as far as volume and what they're asked to do is the tight end. Do you do you feel like that's an accurate, you know, uh, assessment of what's going on with that position? Yeah. Well, if one of you two can answer that, uh, the tight end has evolved over the years and not the traditional why, you know, on the line blocking tight end. Uh, but looking at these athletes now that come out, because rarely do you see any college offenses line up in a tight end at the line of scrimmage. Uh, they're trying to create mismatches with these athletes. And see, but you got to be careful, too. Um, like I give the great example of Laporta. Okay, now they didn't have great quarterback play. He didn't come from the most explosive offense at the University of Iowa. But look what he's done when he came into the league. So, when you sit there and you evaluate him on tape, you're like, can this, can this guy become a mismatch? Well, as they went through the pre-draft process, I believe he ran in the four fives. Uh, he ran more routes at these private workouts and pro days and everything. And you actually see the athleticism. And I give a lot of credit to Brad Holmes up there in Detroit for identifying that because you didn't see that on the college tape when you evaluated him. But nowadays, with the way the offenses have evolved, you know, you want to put the defense in a, I want a little bit of a uh, squeeze on, do I use an extra DB to cover this tight end like a Travis Kelsey? Or, you know, if you have 12 person out there or, you know, regular package where uh, two tight ends or two running backs and one tight end, do you treat that tight end like a receiver? Or do you treat that tight end like a traditional tight end to keep your three linebackers out there? So I think offenses are trying to put the squeeze on the defensive side of the ball on trying to create some of these mismatches if they're on a linebacker or potentially even a safety. Rick, I know that guys like Marvin Harrison stand out. But more and more, we have more depth at the wide receiver position coming into the draft, I think, than ever before. How do you separate wide receivers in terms of like the rest of the normal wide receivers who aren't like a Marvin Harrison Jr. and some of the guys that you could end up seeing in the second and the third round. How do you as an evaluator try to differentiate those guys? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. Um, and I think this is going to be a very, very strong receiver class, much stronger, even though we saw some good receivers that came out last year this is going to be an excellent receiver class. And when you're down here at the senior bowl and one of the guys that really stuck out to me so far is this Ricky uh, Parasol, the receiver from Florida. And I don't know if he's going to run four threes or four fours, but his precision as a route runner, his savvy to find open areas in the zone, his ability to set up DBs with a little shimmy or a little shake at the top of his route to get them on the back of his heels and his ability to make catch it. And I was saw it on tape, but then you see his ability to make plays with the ball in his hands after the catch, which, you know, we refer to as a rack, his uh, run-after-catch ability. So you get an opportunity to see some of these guys that are probably going to be Friday guys and, and which ones that actually are sticking out. So there's going to be, a, I think, a very heavy 
receiver class this year, and there's going to be a lot of good players that are going to go on Friday beyond the top ones that if you that you know the you, the Odunze's and the uh, neighbors from LSU, Odunze from Washington. There is a very good receiver class, and I think there's going to be a lot of them that have an impact. Well, Rick, thanks for the time. I know uh, Fourier hit you up on the fly. We uh, we do appreciate it. I'm sure our uh, morning show, the Greg Hill Show, that Wiggy is on, uh, Wiggy yeah. will be playing your audio as – now, by the way, Rick, I know you haven't seen old, old Wigs in a while. He, he looks the same. He is going <laughs> to try skiing for the first time tomorrow. Oh, my God. Tell him not to do that unless he can do it with a broken leg. He can still do a show with a broken leg or something. <laughs> Let's not overestimate the uh, mismatch athletic ability that he had. See, there we love it. There, there it is. There Perfect. It is. Perfect. There's your warning. There, there it, is. it is. Hey, Rick. Thanks, thanks, Rick. We'll talk to you soon, Rick. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me on.